right, well, hello, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Man, I am just so grateful to be in the house of God today. Uh, I don't know if you experienced online what we experienced in the house today, but heaven touched earth this morning in worship. Um, The reason my wife could not find me is I had to go get myself together. Uh, I just could not stop weeping in the presence of God, and I'm just so grateful for a church that worships God uh, from the right heart, that the king was in the room today, and so... I'm just grateful for that, and with that, let me just welcome everybody who is joining us online, wherever you are watching or joining from. I know many people out on vacation, so welcome from the vacation campus, and uh, wherever in the world you're watching from, and a special shout out to Upshur County Jail. Come on, let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. We're so grateful you were with us, and just another shout out. If you haven't been able to join us in person yet, man, I'm just going to encourage you Get in the building someday. I want you to meet this family here. Um, We are in a series, like I say, that's not a series. It's in the summer. We call it Summer at NCC, and we have some different speakers come in, some guest speakers, and some of our own. And last week, you got to hear from our very own Brad Fountain. I thought he did a great job. And uh, God is really raising him up and developing him in a number of areas, and we're very proud of him. And you have some more guest speakers coming, but I wanted to kind of jump in in the middle here. And before I get into today's message, I just want to also call your attention to something this week that's going on here so you can be praying for it. Uh, If you don't know, this week we have an event called Maker's Camp, and uh, it is, uh, it's, it's not a VBS, it's like a VBS, but really what I love about it is it's all about helping kids understand how they're made, helping kids understand how the maker, God, created them with a purpose so they can use their purpose to serve the Lord. And so we want them to know, look, you don't have to wait until you're an adult to serve God. You don't have to wait until you're older to use your gifts. God put stuff in you right now to serve him in his kingdom. And so be praying for that because we have just under 300 kids coming. Over 80 volunteers are going to be serving. So, yeah. We really, uh, we really want to invest in the next generation, and so, you know, that's God is a God of generations, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but be praying for that, and then also just another heads up, uh, in August, something we do, we do twice a year, we do it in January, it's 21 days of prayer, but in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, and in August, we do 21 days of prayer and feasting, and so, no, just kidding, you're welcome to feast if you'd like, uh, it feels like the fall is a feasting time, so... You know, you got all the holidays, you know, and so it's colder, so you got to, anyway, um, <laughs> that's my excuse anyway. So, but we are having 21 days of prayer, and it'll start August 7th, and I just want to encourage you on that, on those three weeks that we're doing this, and 21 days, we're refocusing our attention. You know, in the summer, sometimes our schedules get off a little bit, people travel a lot, and so what we want to do is re-engage with our time with the Lord, and we're going to have time where you can come and pray here from 6.30 in the morning to 7.15 on Monday through Friday. We'll have worship, we'll have prayer, and there's just something powerful when God's people come together to pray, and we're all doing it at the same time. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that, okay? All right, how many of you guys remember uh, the word for the year that I shared in January. What is the word? More. more, right, more. And if you're new to us, if you've come after January, maybe February or later, you may not have heard as much about this word, but really the word the Lord gave me for our church is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So I just want to reshare that. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably, everyone say it, more, more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power 
that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I love this verse because it speaks to what God's intent is, what his heart is. And I was thinking about just that phrase that says, he can do more than we can ask. And now I have kids. And my kids will often ask me things that they don't really know what they're asking for. They don't realize how big it is that they're, they're like, can we go to Israel next year? And I'm like, all of us? Like, that's a lot. That's a big, that's a big ask, right? I mean, they don't realize sometimes how big it is what they're asking for. But God is saying, I don't care how big you ask. I have something even greater than you can ask or imagine. You can't even dream up what he wants to do in our life. And that's encouraging to me because it doesn't mean I have to do it. He's the one that does it. He's the one that has the power that works in us and through us so that he'll get the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He is a generational God. He wants to work generationally, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I'm grateful for that. But as I was reviewing that word in the last couple of weeks, this question came to me, what do you do? When your expectation for more has not met the reality of more. What do you do when you've had this expectation for what you wanted God to do or the more you were believing for or the victory you were looking for in your life and it hasn't met the reality of where you are? The truth is when expectations don't meet reality, disappointment sets in. And when disappointment sets in, it's really hard to keep going. People tend to give up. People tend to lose faith. People tend to quit fighting or believing for the thing that they were believing for. And one of the things that I've noticed, and you can see all throughout Scripture, is that time can be a barrier to faith. The longer it takes, the harder it is to keep going. The longer it takes to get to whatever it is that you're believing God for, the harder it is to keep trusting. You can see this in Scripture. There are many people throughout the scriptures that had their faith tested because of time. You can read about Abraham and Sarah, which we've talked about before. You know, they, Abraham was promised that he was going to be the father of many nations and that God was going to bless so many through him. And, and yet he didn't even have a son yet. And so he had to believe for a son. And from the time of the promise of Isaac to the birth of Isaac would be 25 years. That's a long time, right? So, so, here, here God says, here's a promise. Now you're going to have to wait 25 years. But he didn't tell him it'd be 25 years. Right. right? From the time that Joshua scouted out or spied out the promised land to the time he actually got to get into the promised land would be 40 years. I didn't say Moses because he didn't get in. Right. That's the saddest story in the Bible. How Moses had to deal with all the children of Israel for so many years and he still didn't get in. He's got crowns in heaven, I believe. Uh, Joseph. Right? You could look at Joseph from the time that he had the dream of his brothers and his parents bowing down to him to the time that that would actually happen to be 23 years. This is some long time, right? Now, for most of us, it's not going to take this long, but it sure feels like it. And it might take this long, but the temptation is to always give up. And as I was looking at the mid-year point, we're at the mid-year point, right? From the time the word of more was given for us to the time we are now. Maybe you haven't experienced that more that you've been believing God for. And I came across this passage in my daily reading. I try to read through the Bible every year, and this year I'm doing it chronologically. And a couple of weeks ago, I came into 2 Kings chapter 13. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, turn to 2 Kings. This is the passage we're going to look at today. You can follow along on version. It will also be on the screens here. But let me give you a little backstory to what's going on in 2 Kings before we read it together. 
There are two people in this passage. There's Elisha and there's Jehoash, or King Jehoash is the king of Israel at this time, or he's also known as Joash. So in your translation, it may say Joash, it may say Jehoash, but Elisha and Joash, for the sake of the shorter name, I'm going to say Joash. Uh, They're in this story, and King Joash was not doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. And that, that's the story of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, mainly the kings of Israel. When you read Kings and Chronicles, you'll be depressed sometimes because you'll see them start to do right and God will bless them and then their hearts will go away from God and they'll do wickedly and then God has to take away the blessing that he was giving them in that moment. So King Joash was not doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, but for whatever reason, he had a great revere for Elisha, the prophet Elisha. Elisha was the prophet who was giving God's words to Israel at the time. And he comes to him in a time where Elisha is dying. If you don't know who Elisha is, he is the protege of Elijah. Elijah was a a bad dude in scripture, okay? If you just read the Old Testament, he he did some incredible things. He's the one that on Mount Carmel, he called down fire to prove to the 450 prophets of Baal who the one true God was. Then he took all those 450 prophets of Baal out. He did some amazing things, but Elisha was his protege, and Elisha received a double anointing, a double portion of what Elijah had. And if you read the Old Testament, Elisha did double the miracles of Elijah. It's really incredible. So he's dying here. Elijah never died. He was caught up by God in a whirlwind. But Elisha is here on his deathbed, and King Joash comes to him. He's being pressed in on multiple sides, and he's coming seemingly for a word. He, he wants something from him. He wants God to speak about Israel. And we pick up here in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, and it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. And Jehoash, or Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father... He cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. He's acknowledging that he's the one who sees from God. He's the one who God speaks through. And then Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Then he said, take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. I love that phrase, the Lord's arrow, the arrow of victory. Wouldn't you love a promise like this from Elisha in this moment in your life? Hey, you're shooting this arrow and it's the arrow of victory. I would love for Elisha to speak to me, the arrow of victory over your family, the arrow of victory for your marriage. Do you remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about more victory? That was one of the messages we talked about. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and give it a listen. But this is what Elisha was saying. You're going to have victory. I want victory in my marriage. I want victory in my finances. I want victory over the attacks of the enemy. I would love to have this promise. And here we are seeing that there's this promise that's given to Joash or Jehoash in this moment. And we're going to read a little bit more in a minute, but what I, what I want to do is I want to look at this passage, and I believe there's some things that are keys to victory that we see here that Joash had to do to get victory. And, and so if you're taking notes, uh, if you're not taking notes, take notes. So if you're taking notes, though, which is all of us now, um, here's, the first, here's the first key I think that we can see in this passage. In verse 15, he tells him to get a bow and some arrows. What was he doing? He was saying, you 
you need to make some preparations. You've got to get the right tools. So the first thing is make preparations. If you're going to believe for victory in your life, if you're going to believe for whatever God has promised you, you've got to do some things. You've got to make some preparations. If we want victory in our life, we have to get the right tools to see the victory. Now, I was just thinking back to January, and maybe this is none of you, but in January when we shared that word of more, maybe you came out, you know, a lot of people in, in January, they're setting these New Year's resolutions, they're thinking about what they want, and they're kind of planning out their year, and this word of more came, and maybe you were one of these people that were like, you know what, I'm going to, this is the year, God, this is the year that, that I know that you're going to help me get out of debt, like, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to be debt-free. And, and so you, you started praying for it. You started believing for it. And you started claiming it. But you haven't set up a budget. You, you haven't read a book on finances. You haven't listened to one Dave Ramsey podcast or watched one Dave Ramsey video. But I claimed it. I prayed for it. But my spending habits are still the same. Amazon automatically orders everything for me. I'm sorry, that was too personal. It's a little too, too much. Should I edit that out for the next one? Um, <laughs> nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. You haven't made preparations. Maybe you were believing God. You were like, this is the year, Lord, that I'm believing you for healing in my marriage. I'm going to see my marriage restored. But we're halfway through the year and you haven't read a book on marriage, haven't gotten one marriage life group, haven't sought out any counsel, haven't got accountability in your life to help you be the husband or the wife that you need to be. What do you expect to change? You don't have the tools. You got to get some tools. You got to make preparations to see the victory. And the first thing he said, you got to get the things in place. If you want to see victory in your life, you have to get the necessary tools for the victory. So we had to get the bow and the arrows. The second thing he tells him to do in verse 17 is very fascinating. He said, open the east window. That's interesting. Why the east window? Because the east window is the window that was facing Aram. It's where he could see the place he wanted to have the victory. And what did he tell him? He said, look out this window. It's a picture to me of you've got to see the vision. You've got to keep the vision in front of you. You've got to see the area you want to win in. You've got to have clarity of what's coming. And it's interesting, he said, a window, because when you open a window, you get a view into an environment you're not in right now, a situation you're not currently in right now. It's not a door, it's just a window, right? Oftentimes you can see in movies, and I think about actually kids in school, they'll sit in their classrooms, and if there's a window with the playground outside, they'll stare out that window, imagining themselves on that playground instead of in their classroom. And oftentimes we look through a window wishing we were in a different environment than we're in right now. Maybe not right now in Texas. Like, I'll be honest with you. I look out the window and I'm just glad I'm not in that environment. I'm inside. Uh, but, but there's a month out of the year where I wish I was outside. There's one out of 12. But it's, it's a picture. It's a window. And that's what windows do. They give us a picture into something that we're not in yet. And when God gave Joseph a dream, it was a window into the future. It would take a lot of time to get there. He wasn't already there, but it was a picture. It was a vision of what was to come. And my question for us today is, are you still looking toward the thing that God spoke to you? Are you still focusing on the vision that he gave you? Are you still believing for the more, keeping your eyes on the prize? What are you gazing at? Because oftentimes what we look at is where our life will go. What we focus on with our vision is the direction our life will go. And if we're wanting victory in an area, are you still looking in that area? It's like driving a car. You ever tried to drive a car looking out the wrong window? 
You're going to go to whatever window you're looking out. If you're looking out the driver's side window, I promise you, you're going to be on the left side of the road soon. If you're looking in the rear view window, I don't even know what to tell you there. You're probably just going to get in a wreck. But wherever you look is where you will go. And what, what Elisha was trying to get him to do in this moment was to see the vision of the victory that was going to come. It's like Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision down and make it plain. Why? So that those who read it can run with it. Are you keeping the vision in front of you? And this is where faith comes into play. And this is where it gets a little bit challenging because faith is seeing before getting there, but it's taking action before getting there as well. I heard one person say it this way. You have to see it before you seize it, and you have to seize it before you see it. Oh, that's confusing. Let me say it again. You have to see it before you seize it, but you have to seize it before you see it. In other words, you have to see it in your mind's eye before you actually take hold of it. But you have to take hold of it here as if it's already happened before you see it happen in the natural. Isn't that what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is? Look, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So it's substance of what I'm hoping for in the future. And it's also evidence of things I can't see with my eyes. This is where faith comes into play. When you look through the window and you're not there yet, but you act like you're already there. You've already taken hold of it. And if you continue to read in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith is what it's called. You read about all these heroes in our faith that went ahead of us. They all had to see it in the spiritual before they saw it in the natural. And they all had to take action in that direction. They all had to step out like Abraham. It says Abraham left his home not knowing where he was going, on a word from the Lord. He saw where he was going in the spiritual without knowing where he was going in the natural. This is where all of us are going to be tested when it comes to our faith. And maybe earlier this year, as you were praying and you were believing and you were seeking God, you got a picture into a window of what God wanted to do in your life, in your family, in your marriage, or some area you're believing for, but you haven't stepped out yet. Faith will always require an action. In fact, I put it this way in my notes. Before we see the victory, there is always an action to take. Always. You can't just sit back and wait for it to come to you. There's always an action that you're going to have to take. And I believe this is what Elisha was trying to get Joash to see in this moment. I want you to see the area that the victory is coming in. In fact, when he shot the arrow, he said... You've already got the victory. This is the Lord's arrow of victory. And this should be familiar to us as followers of Jesus because we know how the story ends. We know the end from the beginning, right? We know that the fight's not fair. We know that we fight from victory, not for victory. The arrow's already been shot, right? We just have to trust in the direction that the arrow was shot. And once the king saw the direction of the victory that God was going to give him, he had to shoot the arrow. And the picture for that for me is once you get the preparations, once you see the vision, you have to focus your action. He had to shoot his arrow in the direction of where the enemy was, of, the, of where he wanted the victory. You have to focus your energy, your action, your efforts in the right direction. See, oftentimes I think it's so easy to get off track from the vision that God gave us. It's so easy to let our, our energy get distracted in all of these different directions, essentially shooting arrows in all these different directions like chasing squirrels. We're after one and we're like, this is the one. And then as soon as it makes a turn, we're like, now there's another one. Well, that one, that one's gone, but I'm trying something else now. I think that's the problem for many of us today because the longer it takes to get to the vision or the promise or the dream that we've been believing God for, there's a temptation to change aims. There's a temptation to change directions. Maybe 
God spoke to you at the beginning of this year or maybe in a prior year, like you're supposed to start a business. So you did start, you took classes at school, you went to college, maybe you went to night school to get some business classes, but when things got hard, you quit. Or maybe you had that dream of of getting out of debt and you started great, you set up a budget, but then you saw everybody else was getting a new car. Everybody else was getting a new house and you were like, man, forget this budget, I want that. And you got off track. You started focusing your energy in another direction. Or maybe God told you to write a book and you started writing it, but you're like, this is taking too long. I'm not a writer. And so you just put it down. And we start focusing our energy and our efforts in other directions. And for some of us, the reason we never accomplish anything is because we're trying to accomplish everything. We just start doing everything else and wondering why are we still in the same place that we're in. I believe we have a culture of perpetual starters, but not a lot of finishers. We have a culture of people who start, I'm going to start this, I'm going to start this, I'm going to start this. But where is the finisher? Where is the person who will finish what they started? There has to be follow through. And this is, the pro- this is what happened with Joash. There had to be follow through from what Elisha told him to do. You got to follow through. Elisha actually loved to do this. He loved to tell people what to do or they had to follow through. Second Kings chapter five, if you back up just a little bit, I love this story. There is a commander named Naaman there in second Kings five. Maybe you remember this story. Ironically, Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram who we're talking about here, but he was a great commander. He had won many battles, but he had leprosy. And so this servant girl tells him, you need to go find Elisha. He can, he can heal you if you go find Elisha. So he puts all this stuff together. He brings all this gold and these gifts and all these things he's going to take to Elisha, this big caravan as he's going to buy his healing is what he's thinking. And he shows up and Elisha doesn't even bother to come out and see him. He sends a messenger out to him. is like, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Well, this infuriated the commander of the army. He's like, do you know who I am? You know? A messenger coming to me, why the Jordan? It's nasty, it's dirty. It'd be like me telling you, if you want healing, go dip in the Sabine River seven times. Some of y'all would have a real hard time with that. Is there not a pool somewhere? Is there not the baptistry? Can we get in there? Somewhere else besides that, right? This is kind of where he was. So he had to humble himself, but here's the thing. What would happen if he wouldn't have followed through? He would never receive his healing. It's the same principle here. There always has to be follow through. And maybe this is how you feel right now. Maybe I'm trying to find a scenario that works for you. Maybe you followed through through some of the steps. Like you started, you made the preparations and you started moving your action in that direction, but yet it hasn't happened yet. And this is where I'm gonna remind you that time is one of the barriers to faith. The longer something takes, the more frustrated we get. And this is the part I think a lot of us are in. That we're in the tension of where we are and where we're going. We're in the space between the fulfillment of what God had showed us or spoke to us and the reality of that thing coming to pass. And this is where I want to pick back up the story in 2 Kings chapter 13. Look in verse 18. Mind you, the arrow of victory has already been shot. Then Elisha said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. That is confusing. 
That doesn't make any sense. Elisha said, get some arrows. So he got some arrows. Elisha said, open the window. So he opened the window. Elisha said, shoot an arrow. So he shot an arrow. Elisha said, strike the ground. So he striked the ground. But he stopped. Elisha didn't say stop. You ever played Simon Says? You don't stop until Simon says stop or you lose the game. Elisha never said stop. And it's at this point when I read this story, I started to feel a little bit bad for Joash. I mean, he's a wicked king, but I felt bad for him because he didn't know how many times to strike. He had followed through with all the other instructions, but this one was open-ended. There was no how many times. And I think what, what happens when we don't know how many times, we think there's a problem with what God told us. Listen, the problem isn't the promise. The problem is the follow-through. Sometimes it's not the issue of obedience. Sometimes it's an issue of desire. How bad did he want it? If, if he said, strike the arrows, how bad did he want the victory? Why didn't he just keep striking until he said, that's enough. Stop, you're going to win. Listen, desire wanes the longer it takes to get to what you're trying to get. And I think this is what was going on with Joash. And I wonder... If we miss out on the more, not because we're not doing what we're instructed to do, but because we quit too soon. We just quit too soon. For whatever reason it is, we stop. And I think our culture has a little bit to do with that. Because we live in a culture where everybody wants everything instantly. We have Instapots. You know, we have overnight successes. People actually, kids nowadays, they don't want to start and work their way up the ladder. They want to start at an executive position and work their way down, I guess. I don't know how that works. We don't want to have to take the time to actually get to what it takes. We call it a microwave culture, right? We live in a microwave culture where we want everything microwaved, heated up quickly, instantly, when the best food really comes from a slow cooker, right? The one that's been doing it all night long. That's when you know it's good. But we still opt for the microwave out of convenience of how quick it is. And I'm, I'm so shocked by, by people. Some of y'all in this room, I'm not saying it would be any of you, probably some of you online, but no one in this room stops the microwave before it's done. It's already doing it five to 10 times faster than it's supposed to. And we can't wait for it to beat. Y'all stop it too soon. And that really frustrates me. It's one of my pet peeves. Listen, if I come to your house and there are some seconds or minutes on that microwave, all that does is show me how impatient you are. You can't wait 30 more seconds. Just let it go, right? My, my sister-in-law, she does this to me on purpose. She will come to my house and start a microwave and stop it just to see me catch it and be like, why is there 11 seconds on the clock? Who did this? She still does it to this day. It's put a wedge between us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've gotten freedom in that area, thanks to the Freedom Conference. Um, but here's the thing. Let it finish. Just let it finish. Why? Let me go back. to Elisha didn't say stop. If God didn't say stop, don't stop doing what he told you to do. Go back to the last thing he told you to do and keep going. That's the problem with our culture today. If it doesn't happen fast, we stop. And I know in my own life, I start out in obedience, but I stop because of distraction. I can think of things that I've started and I got distracted or I got tired of waiting. I got the frustration of the reality of where I am and, and what I had seen in my mind's eye and I wasn't there yet and I stopped short. I stopped short. But God is into follow through. 
God is in to follow through. In fact, if you read Elisha's miracles that he did in the Old Testament, and there was a lot of them, many of them, if not almost all of them, he was giving instructions to other people that they actually had to follow through with, like Naaman. So let me go back to the question that I asked at the beginning. What do you do when your expectation for more has not met the reality of more? When your expectation for victory has not met the reality of the victory that you've seen in your eyes? What do you do when the more you're believing for actually feels like less in the moment? What do you do? You keep striking. You keep going. You keep believing. You do the last thing that God told you to do until he says stop or until you see the victory. Until he says, okay, that's enough. Or you see the fruition of the very thing that you are believing God for. What if Naaman would have only dipped six times? We wouldn't be reading about him today, right? What if Noah would have quit building the ark because it had never rained and this was taking a very long time? What would have happened? What would have happened if Joseph gave up in the prison because his prison reality didn't meet, or his palace dreams didn't meet his prison reality? And he was thinking, I'm stuck here. I'm never going to get there. What if he would have given up? What if they would have stopped marching around Jericho on the sixth day? Or the sixth time on the seventh day because not one rock had come down. There had been no progress in the natural. And this is where I think a lot of people are. They're right there on the cusp. They're right there on the edge of what God is going to do in their life. But they give up. They just don't follow through. And then they wonder why they're stuck in the same place over and over and over again. And listen, we're halfway through the year. We're halfway through the year. And I don't know what you've been believing God for, but I know there are things that I've been believing God for myself that haven't happened yet. They haven't come to fruition and there's a temptation to settle. There's a temptation to stop. There's a temptation to give up. And sometimes I think we think that we can quit, but God will keep doing his part. I think sometimes we think, well, I'll quit, but look, he's gonna be faithful. He's gonna keep doing his part. And we wonder why we haven't seen the victory. We wonder why we haven't received that more we've been praying and believing for. Let me encourage you today. God will do his part if we keep doing our part. The scripture is full of if-then statements. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. If you draw near to me, then I will draw near to you. There's a lot of if-thens. God is faithful to his word, but are we going to be faithful to our word? Are we going to be faithful to follow through? Listen, victory's his. It's not ours. It's his. It's his arrow that was shot. But we have a part to play. We have to strike the arrows. And I feel like I came to encourage someone today. Don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on that job that you know you were supposed to start. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on the promise or the victory. Don't give up on your purpose. You're almost there. You're probably almost there. I can't tell you how close you are. Only God knows. But I know that we have to keep striking the arrows. Let me encourage you with this scripture in Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There's an action. You have to finish. You have to follow through. And outwardly, things may not have materialized. And I can't change that and you can't change that. But inwardly, I can keep the fire going. Inwardly, I can keep my faith strong. Inwardly, I can keep the vision in front of me. Inwardly, I can say, I'm not going to stop until I see the victory in this area. I can keep striking. 
I can keep dipping in the river. I can keep marching. I can keep praying. I can keep believing. I can keep putting myself in the house of God so my faith is encouraged, so I don't lose track of what he told me, and I keep going until I see the more. Listen, I don't want to get to heaven one day and see what God had in store for me. And no, I quit. I don't want to quit. I don't want you to quit either. So I just want to encourage you today. Look at this passage. I'm going to close with this Galatians 6, 9. This is collectively for us as a church. Let us not grow weary. Let us not get tired of doing what is good. You're going to be tempted to get tired, but don't, don't quit. At just the right time, that's his time, not our time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, if we don't quit. Amen. Would you stand with me? I just want to pray for us and then I want us to make some declarations in faith as we worship one more time. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we hold on to the word that you've given us, God. Lord, that you want to do exceedingly, abundantly above, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, God. Not for our own glory, but for your glory. And I pray for every single person here today, every single person watching online, God, who you've spoken to, you've given a promise to, you've given a dream to, you've given a vision to. Those who are believing for victory in an area of their life, God, I pray for follow through today, God. I pray that we would take the necessary steps to get there, Lord, that it wouldn't be because we quit, that we'd be known as a people who kept striking the ground, people who never gave up because it's coming. The harvest is coming if we don't give up. Let us be found faithful in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship today. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.